podcast with Dan and Scott. Hottest golf podcast, whether you like it or not. Fresh from back in the day when that's a put at the park. 7 a.m. PM special where they played after dark. From the birds to the focus to the losses and the win. Welcome podcast, patron to the show, lead the pen. Get busy golfing or get busy dying. Hottest golf podcast and the swing ain't lying. Yeah. Leave the pen. Welcome back, podcast patrons. Another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Dan. And I welcome back a guest that we had on episode 99, Mr. Colby Wallace, who is the director of player development at Persimmon Ridge, the Golf Academy at Persimmon Ridge. Colby, what's going on, my man? Not much. Thanks for having me back, man. I enjoyed it last time and looking forward to doing it again this time. It was a blast. We we got so much feedback from our younger audience, our older established amateur golfers, um, because look, everyone's looking to improve, right? That's the bottom line. Everyone wants to get better in this game. Absolutely. Uh, that's uh, Hopefully that's why they play, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's fun and camaraderie, but no one really wants to go out there and shoot a buck 20 every time, you know? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> uh, so, so listen, let's, let's kind of catch people up to speed a little bit. And kind of our new listeners, we've got a bunch since, you know, since you were on last. Um, first off, where do we find you today? What's your day looking like today? Well, you got me just after a, a, a group lesson. So, um, yeah, we're here in Louisville, Kentucky still. Uh, we've been very fortunate that we've never been shut down with COVID. Um, we were a little bit nervous at first and obviously had to make several precautions uh, throughout the course of the year. So it's been a crazy year, but. Um, we're just in a typical day of my life. I've got a young boy who I guess I had him last time I was on. He's almost a year old. So I'm going back and forth between, uh, between dad and coach and husband and all that fun stuff. I think one of the things, you know, kind of a little behind the scenes thing for the listeners out there and kind of, you know, how busy a coach and a teacher could be, um, give us an idea weekly. How many lessons are you banging out at, at this time of year? You know, we're we're one of the few indoor facilities in our area, so we stay pretty busy this time of year um, just because there's nowhere else for people to go in the wintertime. And really all of our programming, whether it's junior stuff, college stuff, adult stuff, um, we go pretty much year-round with it. So, um, you know, I, I'm as busy as I want to be. I've, I've worked hard over my last year or two to kind of streamline what I teach, who I teach, how much I teach, so I don't get burnt out. Um, I'm not a guy that wants to work 50, 60 hours a week. So, you know, this time of year, I'm probably I'm probably teaching for 30 to 40 hours a week. And then, you know, you still have that behind the scenes work. I do a lot of virtual stuff still, too. So I'm teaching as much as I want, that's for sure. And, and how does that compare to, you know, your busy summer months? Yeah, great question. So in the summer, I mean... Definitely more hours teaching, um, slightly different hours. You know, this time of year, we're here till 7.30 a few nights a week with with some of our high school groups and middle school groups, whereas in the summer when they're not in school, we're able to do it more throughout the day and, and get out a little bit earlier. But um, So I'd say it's maybe 10 hours a week less than it is in the summer. Not significant, though. Gotcha. And and you guys kind of are, are correct me if I'm wrong, but you're in a region that, you know, basically has 12 months of the year golf, correct? Yeah, you can. Like uh, today, it's it's high 30s. It's windy, so it's a little chilly, but there's still people out there playing golf. We'll get a little bit of snow here and there, but for the most part, you can play golf um, almost year-round. Right. Nothing substantial like we're getting here, you know, in the Northeast, which, you know, is basically ending 
our season. And that's kind of a cool situation that you're in. You've, you've not only got an entire golf academy focused just on the game, but you're also in a region that, you know, kind of allows people this extra practice time. Absolutely. Yeah. They're able to go year round. Um, and again, just having an indoor facility where they can practice inside when the weather's not good uh, is a huge, huge benefit to them. And for those that come out in the wintertime and then they get out in the spring and they're like, oh, my goodness, just even just two hours a week of practicing uh, to help kind of maintain my golf swing as opposed to feeling like it's a rebuilding process every spring. That'll make a significant difference. And for, for the listeners that are up north, I grew up in Massachusetts. Uh, you can find ways to practice in the wintertime. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that today, I'm sure. But there's ways that you can practice at home, indoors, even without a golf ball to where when you get out in the springtime, you don't feel like you're back where you were last June or July. So let's let's get into that a little bit, right? Because, you know, myself personally, the buddies that I play with, um, we were lucky enough to play twice so far this winter, but it's one of those things where, you know, I played one round where four greens were completely covered in snow and ice, and then I played two, three weeks later after a big snowstorm where everything had melted and it's basically, you know, completely mud. So for people that don't want to come into the spring, right, and, and forgive me, my, my, my southern listeners and my western listeners, forgive me for isolating you here on this, but this is, you know, this is near and dear to your heart being a Massachusetts boy and, you know, me being in northeast PA. What are some things that that the average amateur can do? You know, let's say the average dad or the average mom that that doesn't have the free time of a high school kid. What's something little they can do each and every week so they're not feeling like they're rebuilding completely from ground zero in the springtime? Yeah, yeah, great question. So first of all, to me, short game is king, right? That's usually the first thing people have that go. Um, so for me, if I'm indoors, I would say, Find a coffee mug, find something, and force yourself to hit so many putts, whether it's, you know, three-foot putts and you say, I've got to make 50 in a row, or I've got to make so many six-footers in a row. really just depends on your ability, but the point is to make it a little bit of a challenge for you to keep those competitive juices going, but also the repetition of just hitting, uh, hitting putts and keeping that feel with your putter in your hand. And then similar type thing with chipping. I mean... I remember growing up, I'd use ping pong balls and don't tell my parents this. They might be listening, but don't tell them. Um, I used to take ping pong balls and chip them around the house. And I used to go from the living room and see if I can land it, have it spin and stop on the dining room table, you know, when they weren't home and just trying to develop different feel. And, and so you could basically take your ping pong ball and you can use a hula hoop or clubs or whatever and designate a few landing areas and say, okay, I'm going to land this one in the short landing area then in the medium, then in the long, and then maybe try to hit different trajectory shots. And, you know, a ping pong ball is not going to hurt anything, and you can put some crazy spin on it. So it's a lot of fun. So anything you can do to create a fun atmosphere, a little bit of competitiveness with yourself or, you know, with a family member or a friend, um, that's a great way to do it. And as far as full swing is concerned, just swinging something, you know. Um, we use speed sticks a lot. Just swinging speed sticks without even hitting a ball or – Honestly, slow motion swings are a great way to practice and transition what you're working on in your golf swing um, into your golf game and take it onto the course. So just making a lot of slow motion swings, you know, the girls at Vision 54 call them Tai Chi swings, where it might take you 30 seconds or a minute to make a full swing. 
Um, just keeping a club in your hand and keep moving, I think, is the biggest, biggest thing. Two points I want to touch on. The ping pong ball idea is phenomenal. My oldest son, who will be playing high school golf, uh, next year, officially on the team, he played this year with the team, but kind of as an unofficial member because it was only in eighth grade. He's been trying to do, you know, all these ch- trick shots, but it's keeping a club in his hands, right? It's teaching him swing path. He sees how the ball reacts, and it's it's getting him so much more confident when he's able to chip. You know, I just posted on Instagram. He chipped a ball into a paper towel container. I saw that. Was that him? That that was him. So he's that he's was been doing, That is yeah. a small target. I'm I'm not lying on the post when I said I told him I said, hey buddy, like you know this might take you 30 days. You know, like we might be here in February still, and you're trying to do this. And and he did it about an hour a day. And on the second day, he nailed it. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. It'd probably take me a year. You know, that's awesome. But let me let me ask you this question then for people that let's say might not understand the golf swing too well, right? I'm, I'm thinking of a bunch of my friends. I'm thinking of, you know, the, the common amateur out there. Is it possible that they might be able to do more harm than good if they're practicing something that, you know, they saw on YouTube or they, they read in Golf Digest and they don't really kind of understand the intricacies of, of what they're actually doing? You know, is it possible that they ingrain something poor into their swing as well over those winter months? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. There's there's always that possibility for sure. I think that's why you've got to be, you know, you've got to be the guardian of your own mind with what information you're putting in there. And um, listen, the people that contribute things to Golf Magazine and Golf Digest are fantastic instructors. And I I can't remember reading one where I'm like, man, that's 100% incorrect. It, they're, they're all accurate, right? It's just what's best for the individual player um, and you just got to be careful with what you're putting in there and, and who, who you're getting it from, right? Like your buddies can tell you one thing and sure it might work for them, but is it the right thing that that's going to work for you and your golf game? So I guess, I think what you're getting at here is how do you make sure it's the correct information? Um, uh, I guess you just have to make sure you have a, a source that you trust, someone that you've got a personal connection with because, you know, Butch Harmon is probably the best instructor in the world and he'll, whatever he posts in golf magazines are fantastic. But a lot of times he in particular does a good job of making it something that is very encompassing of most golfers. Whereas when you get into some really technical things, um, they can be just to a specific tech uh, segment that it's more accurate to, as opposed to uh, a blanket statement that can cover a lot of golfers. So um, you just have to be careful I guess, you know, like I said, be the guardian of the information that comes into your mind. And um, best way to do is find a, find a golf professional, find a teacher, find a PGA pro that, that you know that, that you trust and run it by him real quick. Hey, here you know my golf swing. What do I need to work on this winter? And that'll be probably more beneficial than finding something online. Yeah, I think it's super important that we kind of make the distinction that you need to find a professional, someone that has trained in this. Everybody has at their driving range, you know, the local yokel that walks up and down and will tell you, oh, man, hey, yeah, you should really be doing this. Or, oh, it looks like you're a little bit flat or hey, you're coming over the top. Um, you know, and, and again, that's a guy that probably just spews stuff out that he reads in, in, in Golf Digest. But let me ask you this question. I've got I've got a bunch of friends and I know there's a bunch of people out there listening. And they're the type of people that would love to go out and just buy a game, right? The $500 driver is going to solve the equation. 
The the missing link is the tour spin ball that they haven't been able to afford, but now they can, and they're going to drop strokes. You and I, both being involved in this game, know that that's not the case, and that's not the truth. They're actually, the furthest thing from it. Um, what do you say to people, and I have a, a buddy, I'm not going to name him by name, but this is directly related and aimed at him. What do you say to people that come up with the excuse for not getting lessons or at least not improving with lessons when they say something along the lines of, well, I'll start getting lessons when I get better. Yeah, that's a, that's a statement you hear a lot, isn't it? Um, you know, I want to build a swing and then I'm going to take a lesson. Well, exactly. Wouldn't you want to, let me, let me think about the best way to say this. I'm not a carpenter by any means. I can barely hammer, hammer a nail into a piece of wood. But let's say you're building a house. Would you want to build a sturdy foundation and then build the house upon that? Or you want to just go ahead and do the foundation work yourself and then bring the carpenter in? I think that solves the equation right there, right? I, I don't know. Was that good? I just made that up. That yeah, good? I mean, I yeah. The, the <laughs> thing, like, if if you're going into it with the fact that you know I'm gonna I'm gonna just gonna kind of wing it and try everything myself. You know, golf doesn't work like that. Now, I'll give you a great example. Um, this this winter, I wanted to just short my backswing up a little bit for a little bit more consistency. And in my mind, and in the feels that I was given in my swing, it felt, Colby, like literally no joke, I might have been taking the club back a quarter of the way. So I had my son video me, and I said, hey, this looks a ton shorter, doesn't he? Or doesn't it? And he kind of rolled his eyes at me. And I'm like, what? He's like, you'll see the video. Colby, <laughs> it was it was literally the same exact swing. Like, you could not tell the difference putting two videos, you know, back to back. And it's something that I had worked on in the garage and on my own for like three weeks. And then I, you know, but to me, the feel <laughs> was I was super short. It was not the case. And I think that happens with a lot of players out there. They have this feel and they think they're doing one thing, but when they get a set of educated eyes on it, it turns out to be something almost completely different. Yeah, there's a huge difference between feel and real, but you know, all that really matters is are you able to to execute the shot you want to execute, especially under pressure, and are you able to get the ball in the hole in less strokes, right? That's right. really what it boils down to. And, you know, and I'll put myself on display here. You know, I'm that idiot that every once in a while, you know, look, at 42 years old, I'm not getting much better. I'm not getting much longer. You know, I'll make a few putts in a round more here and there. But let's be honest. At this stage in the game, you know, I am who I am. So we went out, we played nine holes, uh, you know, terrible conditions, 35 degrees or whatever it is. We're bundled up, you know, beanie caps on, gloves and everything. And I go out and I go one under par, shoot a 35 on nine holes. I'm blown away. My buddy says to me, he goes, what, what have you been working on? I'm like, shortening my backswing. He's like, yeah, that's, that's not doing anything. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, it's one of those things where I, I, I can't stress enough, and I'm sure you as well, because you work with so many junior golfers. I can't stress enough the impact and the importance of having a solid foundation if if you were going to get somebody in like you know myself or an average amateur that is 45 50 years old that's been doing something 
for the same way for so many years. How do you approach that differently than you approach kind of a clean slate young amateur player? Yeah, so great question. Uh, I need to go back. You've inspired a question. I need, I need you to just um, hear me out here. Sure. What is a toboggan to you? What is a toboggan? A, a, a toboggan to me is an enclosed sled. Okay, perfect. Because here in Kentucky, a toboggan is a beanie. Really? Yes. So every time someone says toboggan, I'm like, that's a sled. Okay, well, let me throw this on top of you. We did an – let's go off track completely. We did an end of the year um, kind of uh, like 12 days of Christmas merchandise type thing where a bunch of companies sent us information. We got it out to the people. And we got this new company over from the UK, Warwick House Golf. And as I'm talking with the owner, he keeps on saying, yeah, our bobbles, our bobbles, our bobbles are a bestseller. And finally, I just said, dude, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And he's like, our winter hats, Whoa, they're really? called bobbles. I haven't so heard that one. I've never heard that. My one buddy said, oh, yeah, of course. That's what they call it, like, all over the EU over there. I was, uh, okay, well, <laughs> my bad. Ignorant American. <laughs> That's right. But okay, so we got toboggan, we got beanie, we got skull caps, we've got bobbles. Uh, yeah. I, I've never heard toboggan. That's wild. Yeah, that's what everyone says. I'm gonna go put my toboggan on. I said, why are you putting a sled on? It's not. Like, <laughs> there's no snow here. Right, there you go. There you, there you go. go. So, anyways, uh, I digress. I apologize. So, what the question, if I remember right, was what would I do with someone who's been playing for a while, you know, maybe in their 40s versus a newer golfer, high school player, correct? Yeah, I, I don't even think it's age. I think it's more yeah. ingrained habits yeah. versus blank slate. Sure. So, the first question I always have for um, for any student really is, what are your goals, right? What what are what are your goals? What do you want to achieve? And, and then um, during an evaluation, figure out where are you now, right? And my job. The way I sell packages to people is I sell I sell results. I don't sell our lessons. I sell the result, right? So if you tell me, let's say you're someone that shoots in the low 90s and, and you want to break 90 consistently, my job as your coach is to figure out where do we need to attack, what do we need to attack in your golf game to help you get to that position? Because the, fir the first thing I get from a lot of people, especially males, is I want to hit the ball further. I want to hit it more consistently. I want to hit it straighter. I want to improve my golf swing, whatever, which is all well and good. But when I take them on the golf course and I watch them chip it two times on a hole or three putt four times in nine holes or, you know, pick bad targets and hit it in the water because they're going for a pin that was tucked on the left edge of the green with a three wood, right? And then I'm like, okay, well, here's an opportunity for us to make huge improvements. So I guarantee that when a, when a student comes to me and they buy a package, I guarantee the result ahead of time. And I don't know if there's a single person I haven't gotten it with yet, just because of, I, I asked them to trust me and say, Hey, I know what you think you need to work on, but here's what you really need to work on. And it's almost always, almost always short game. When I say short game, I'm talking hundred yards and in. So distance control with your wedges, um, putting. If it's not one of those two, it's usually mindset right? They, they're not confident over the golf ball. They're thinking about the wrong thing. They're thinking about too many things. Um, they've got fear that creeps into their head. Uh, might be routine-based. They don't have a routine. The routine isn't beneficial to them. It's inconsistent. Um, or, you know, course management. It's usually one of those things. So it's either mindset, short game, or course management. And almost every single person I've worked with. So 
um, that's what I like to attack. And that that's what I'm really good at. And the way I do it with most players is teaching them how to practice. Honestly, um, I think a lot of the mental game stuff comes from practicing the right way um, to gain that confidence in a practice session, to put yourself under pressure in a practice session if you, so that you can then compete and play well under pressure, whether that's to shoot your lowest nine hole score ever or to break 90 for the first time or to win your club championship or to win a tour event. You know, it's, it's, it's all the same thing. It's just different levels of it. So that's what I would do. What, what advice can you give people that go to the range, throw their token in, get their 150 balls, machine gun it out and then leave and then get mad at the fact that they're not getting any better, even though they're hitting a ton of balls. Sure. So my advice would be, number one, why are you going to hit balls? That'd be my question. And the answer is almost always boils down to because they want to shoot lower scores on the golf course. Right. That's what it boils down to. They might say they want to improve their swing. They want to learn how to hit a draw. But once you dig deeper, it's they want to shoot lower scores on the golf course. And so you need to simulate golf when you practice. So that bucket of balls that you're hitting instead of going there and hitting a bucket of balls and it taking you 20 to 30 minutes, make that bucket of balls last you an hour or an hour and a half, or go there and split a ball bucket of balls with someone and make it last you an hour. And you need to create spacing. You need to create time between shots. You need to have variation. You need to have different targets, different clubs, different ball flights, different situations, different lives. If you can create that on every shot, and then you need to have challenges to put the pressure on yourself. You need to have those three things when you practice. That's why people can't take what they do on the range to the golf course. It's not the same thing. On the range, you've got a pile of balls next to you in a perfect lie every time. You know, you can get into a groove very easily on the range. On the golf course, the only time you hit the same shot twice in a row, it's a bad thing. That means you hit one out of bounds. You hit one in the hazard. Yeah. Right? It's never a good thing to hit the same shot twice in a row, but that's how we practice. So you need to change the way you practice if you want it to transition out to the golf course. Yeah, practice as you play. Absolutely. You know, it, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, all, all of these are not plucked out of thin air, right? These are obviously all my buddies. These are all guys that I've played with. These are all excuses that, you know, both you and I have heard over the years. Um, and it's funny cause I can give, you know, an anecdote for myself. Once I realized that I was ingraining a stroke to kind of overcome my negative tendencies at the range years ago and started playing rounds in my head or, you know, a chip shot to here, a full swing with that club to here, take another club, change the lie, give yourself a crappy lie here or there. The better that I started playing overall. And actually, what's funny is the less time I spend on the range because my range sessions now are so fruitful and I'm getting so much out of them that I don't need to hit 200 balls a day anymore. And, and I think people would be wise to take your advice and realize that you can do so much more work in a half an hour's worth of time if you're doing it correctly as opposed to three hours worth of time when you're just throwing your time away. Yeah, and good on you for realizing that about your own golf game. That's huge. I mean, I so I did a mental mastery virtual training last year when COVID started. I think we talked about it a, bit, a little bit last year. Right. And it went it went great, and um, it was fantastic. Had probably had sixty to seventy people go through it throughout the course of the year. And what I'm doing now is I'm transitioning it into 
uh, college teams. So I've got several college teams from around the country that we're going through this mental mastery training. Some are in person, some are, are virtual. Um, but, and the reason I tell you this, this stemmed from why I reached out to college teams with this was it stemmed from my college career. And I got worse when I went to college. And the reason was I grew up on a little nine hole public course, hundred yard and in area to hit wedges, but you had to shag your own balls, had a small chipping and putting green. And I just played golf and worked on my short game. And I got to college. I went to Methodist University. They have a golf management school there. We had six PGA pros on staff that were all fantastic. And they'd give you free lessons whenever you wanted. And I took advantage of it. And I started working on my golf swing, different techniques. And it wasn't these instructors' faults that I got worse because the information they gave me was right. It was the way I was transitioning it into the way I played. I went from a pretty good high school player to a college golfer that played on the team but wasn't really very good, honestly. Not nearly as good as what I should have been. And it was nobody's fault but my own. But I didn't realize it when I was in school. You know, so why I'm doing this with college teams now is like, hey, let's I don't want you to make the same mistakes that I made. You know, I want you to learn what is it that, that you're really good at? What makes you a good golfer? And how can you do more of that as opposed to what I did, which was try to do something I'd never done before, work on my golf swing, spend hours a day hitting balls on the range and forgetting how to get the ball in the hole. I think it, that's such a valuable uh, part of the game, which is just highly overlooked, is the mental aspect. And, you know, being in the new year here, we hear with people making their New Year's resolutions left and right. And, you know, I'm going to do this, that and the other. And, you know, the, the typical one in, in my world is, is people that are like, OK, well, I'm going to get fit. Right. This is the year. 2021 is the year. 2020 sucked. This is the time I'm going to take control of my life. And we know that, you know, in that industry, it usually lasts till about early to mid-February. And then the gyms kind of clear out again. Um, obviously, golf is a sport that dominates a lot of people's lives, uh, a lot of part of their kind of disposable income, a lot of their free time. And, and people want to get better at it. Do you see that with, with the mental component of golfers coming in, coming up with these New Year's resolutions and, and kind of not following through with them? Yeah, and actually what I did a couple weeks ago on my, I've got a, we call it the Colby's Clubhouse. It's basically uh, students I have out here, people that have gone through my, my online stuff. Uh, and we meet every other week on a Zoom call. And we did goal setting a couple weeks ago. And what we talked about was everyone can pretty easily come up with the what, right? What is your goal? And it's break 90 or break 80 or, you know, win the club championship, whatever. Um, the next step is coming up with the how, right? How are you going to achieve those goals? What are the steps you're going to take? Well, I'm going to go and make a hundred three footers every week, or I'm going to go spend two hours a week on the range. Or I'm going to make sure I play two times a week, whatever, whatever the process is for you. But those are the easy things to come up with. The hard thing and the most important thing to come up with is why is it important for you to achieve those goals? Because what's going to happen, just like you said in the fitness world, we're going to get a month or two months in and we're not going to want to get out right out of bed in the morning to go to the gym, right? And we might sleep in one day and that turns into two days and then that turns into two weeks and we don't go back to the gym again. Well, the same thing happens with people and their golf goals. So you have to have something that's driving you. What is the reason that you really want to get better? And to give an example of one of the people on, on the call, um, 
she she wants to get better and it took her a couple of days to come up with this but it was because she wants to be able to go out and play more golf with her kids and have more family time and interact with them on the golf course and not look like an idiot that was her reason but that's going to be strong enough reason for her to drive her to get to the golf course once a week or to to you know play golf once every week or two whatever whatever it was that she wanted to do so you have to have that why behind it it can't just be what it can't be how that's the stuff we always do and we're good at it it's the driving reason of why is it that you really want to do this because on the days where it's nasty outside or you know the days where you don't feel like doing it or maybe you don't feel 100 percent you don't want to go to the gym because you're still sore from the day before well if you've got a strong enough reason in there you know for instance if you're if you're sick like give you an extreme example. Let's say you're sick and doctor says, Hey, if you don't lose 25 pounds in, in six months, you're going to die. Well, that's a pretty strong reason, right? You're going to get your butt in the gym and you're going to make sure you lose 25 pounds, probably more. So extreme example, but that's, that's the bottom line is we've got to give ourselves a strong enough why. So on the days that we really don't want to do it, we still do it. Can, can people get in trouble at all with having these kind of overarching unrealistic goals that maybe they set for themselves man i i don't think so um not if they let me let me re-answer that i don't think they can so long as the effort and the steps they're taking to achieve that goal match what the goal is gotcha so if yeah, you're yeah. That you, for you for instance you're saying hey I want to be on, I want to play in the champions tour when I turn 50, but you're going to the golf course once every three weeks, then yes, you've set too lofty a goal for yourself. And that makes perfect sense. And the only, I'm just kind of thinking of things that I've heard. I I have one friend, a completely different person who is a mid nineties break a hundred shooter. If the course is, is difficult, um, does very well on certain tracks but gets into any type of pressure situation, whether it's, you know, a, a real kind of super nice course or a difficult course or kind of, you know, a highly regarded golden age architecture course and kind of falls apart. And, and his goal is to break 90 this year on a very tough course. Now, literally, he cannot break if all strokes were counted, mind you, couldn't break 120 on these courses. And I keep telling them like, let's rein that back a little bit because if your goal is to break 90 and you don't, you know, you're going to be severely disappointed. And he's kind of an all or nothing guy, right? Like if I don't break 90, my entire year's wasted. When in actuality, if he cut it down a little bit from like, you know, 120 to maybe a 101, that's actually a really significant gain. And that's, I guess that's the mindset that I'm kind of, you know, asking towards, you know, can you set something that's too high, which is, you know, might not even be physically achievable for you and then get down on yourself about it? Yeah. You know, good. that's, that's a great question. See, honestly, I love someone that's going to reach for the stars like that. I would just say, Hey, if that's your goal for the year, let's break it down. Let's say, okay, by the end of this month, I've got to be able to do this. And, you know, maybe it's make 10, three foot putts in a row, whatever. By the end of February, I need to be able to do this. Okay, I've got to chip it into this area so many times because you guys are indoors right now, right? Yeah. Okay. The end of March, I've got to be able to do this. 
Maybe it's get my swing speed to a certain thing or full swing, sitting balls into a net, into a hula hoop, hit that spot in the hula hoop five times in a row, whatever. I'm just making stuff up. But I would break it down. And then once you get into the season, okay, I've got to play nine holes um, where I shoot less than 50. And then my next step is, okay, nine holes where I shoot less than 45. So you break it down throughout the course of the year because, you know, the, the old saying is, how do you eat an elephant? Well, one sure, bite bite, bite, bite. Right? So if you say it looks like a real lofty goal from, to, to go from 120 to 90, but does it look like that lofty of a goal to make 10 three-foot putts in a row? Not really, right? So if you can break it down throughout the course of the year, whether it's every month, every three months, every four months, whatever, into bite-sized chunks that seem doable, that'll keep you driven throughout the course of the year. Whereas what most people do, okay, I'm shooting 120. My goal is to break 90. They get three months in and they still haven't broken 110. They're like, no chance. I'm done. Right. And then they just give up on it. Right. Now you are a person that I should send him to. This is, this is something I want to talk about. And obviously, you know, the entire leave the pin podcast congratulates you. You are the, you know, director of player development. You won the PGA, the Kentucky PGA player development award. And in the blurb, I want people to realize, you know, how good of a coach Colby is. And if that doesn't come across to you and the fact that he says, I'm not selling you the lessons per hour, I'm selling you on the final goal, which I'm going to get you to. I mean, that's, that's kind of incredible. You know, when you think about it, there's not too many people out there saying, let me hear your goals. Okay. That's what they are. Yes. We can get you there. Like, just follow me to that point. And that's pretty amazing. But um, the Kentucky PGA, in their award blurb, uh, has a, a fact which just blew me away. And, and I thought it was junior players. You told me it was adults, which is even you know more mind-blowing to me. But you took a group of 16 students, and as an average, the group per individual lost an average of 12.25 strokes in the span of just a couple months. So I want the listeners to kind of digest that, you know, and realize that that could be you shooting 100 to being a player that shoots in the mid to high 80s. That's a pretty enormous accomplishment, bud. (laughs) Well, thanks, man. It's it's not so much me as it is the students and they're they're willing to commit to, to what I ask them to do and trust that I'm asking them to do the right things. And Man, we just have so much fun. Um, I get them on the golf course a lot. Um, we do different competitions. It's we have a good time doing it, and I, you know, everything in our academy out here is, starts with that because the average golfer, if they're not enjoying it, they're not going to come back. And if they don't come back, then we can't help them. So we got to make it fun. But uh, if they didn't see the results, they wouldn't they wouldn't continue to come back. So that's the best thing about it is they accomplish a goal, and then the next thing you know, it's okay we're getting to this goal. What's your next goal going to be? Cause it's a never ending progression, right? The game, this game of golf, we can never master it. We can never really become our best player. We're always trying to. Um, and I don't care what level you're at. You, you can never reach the peak. At least I don't think you can. Um, there's always one stroke you left out there, or two or three strokes you left out there. So we always are continually setting new goals, uh, making new steps that we need to make in order to get people there and, and we're having a heck of a good time doing it. Yeah, I think that's the greatest thing about this game is the fact that it's it's truly unmasterable. I mean, there's days where everyone has them and and the game seems so easy and you go out there and you kill it. The next day you go out there and you're shooting, you know, 10 strokes over your handicap or you're in Tiger Woods's position where 
you know, he felt that three times over the course of his amazing career, he could get better. So he changed his swing. It's it's not like baseball where, all right, I get two at-bats, I hit two home runs. That's a perfect day. I could not have done any better than that. That's golf, right. You know, golf is not like that. Um, hey, every golfer has kind of their own favorite thing to, you know, to work on. Whether You know, for me personally, I could chip and putt all day long. You know, I'll hit 10, 15 drives. I'm done. I love the short game. What is it that you like coaching the best, that you like teaching the best? Is there a specific area of the game? Yeah, I mean, I I love mental game, short game, course management. Those three things um, are what I love to teach. And I think the reason why I like them so much is that's kind of what I grew up on. That's the only – that's how I grew up playing golf. And I'm able to make some significant score differences in, in people's games – without even talking about golf swing with them. Not saying I don't with, with students, but um, man, you can, you can, if I caddy for someone that's, you know, your average 80 shooter, 90 shooter, hundred shooter, they'll probably shoot a score five strokes lower than average just because I'm telling them to hit it in the right spots, right? Their course management's better. They're teeing it up on the correct side of the tee box. They're picking appropriate targets. They're avoiding trouble, you know, little things like that. And you can just make such a difference in someone's game. And it's easy, right? It doesn't, you have to change your golf swing. You just have to change your mindset and your mentality on the course. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Those are all aspects that you just mentioned, which really are are kind of overlooked aspects when it comes to the average golfer trying to improve. (laughs) It is. And you know, it's, this is funny. I had a high school player out yesterday. He's going to be playing in college next year. We were talking and I said, so what do you think you really need to focus on this offseason? And he said, you know, short game. And, and he said that last year over the course of the in a tournament, he his short game was awful. And he played terrible, shot a terrible score. And for the next two weeks, he spent more than 75% of his practice time just on chipping and putting. And coincidentally, the next couple of tournaments were his best tournaments of the year. And the problem was his ball striking wasn't great. So after those tournaments, he went back into his normal practice habits of hitting balls on the range and neglecting his short game. But at least now he's come to the realization that when I play my best golf, I'm spending the majority of my practice time on my short game. And he even said that, you know, there's this one high school player in our state that's a very good player. And he said, when I play with this kid, I hit it so much better than him. But his short game just puts me – he kills me. He says I, I lose to him every time because the short game is so much better. Um, and I think that I think that all average golfers see that, right? We, we've played with somebody who has a heck of a short game. They just scrape it around the golf course. They kind of hit a little slicer off the tee, then they thin one up there near the green. And next thing you know, they're up and down. They make par, and here we are, pure driver, pure my next shot, just a little bit too far right of the green. Don't get up and down, miss a six footer, make bogey. I just lost by one, and I hit two great golf shots. So we've all seen that. I think we all deep down know how important that mentality is because we realize that we hit a lot of bad shots when we're scared of them, when we when we're focused over the golf ball on the wrong things. But we just I don't I don't know if it's that we that answer team seems too simple. It needs to be more complicated. Like my my swing path isn't right, or I need to change my plane, or my clubs, my equipment doesn't fit me right. You know, but. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I, to me, that mental game, the course management, short game, if you're good at those three things, you can be as good a golfer as you want to be. You know, it, it's funny how people kind of always want to try 
to make the answer so much harder than it is sometimes. They just it, it's like they won't accept the fact that maybe it really is that simple. Absolutely. One one game that I play, um, especially when I get a golfer that says I need to work on my tee shot, I, you know, I'm not hitting it very good, need to hit it further off the tee, is we'll go out and play nine holes, and I will attempt to hit the same shot they hit off the tee. So if they hit a 200-yard slice into the trees right, I'm going to try and hit my driver a little 200-yard slice into the trees right. And then from there, I'm going to play my own game. And we get done, and nine holes, their score is whatever, 46, my score. 39, 40, whatever it is. And I say, so I don't know if you noticed this, but we were in similar places off the tee. And usually after about three holes where they see me hit this crappy drive like they hit, they kind of get what's going on. But I can say then, what's the difference? What was the difference between your 49 and my 40? And they have no choice but to say, well, your short game is better than mine. Well, there you go. So you don't have to improve your tee shot. If you just get your short game better, you can make up however many strokes, nine strokes. I remember you telling me that last time, you know, on episode 99, and I thought, wow, that's such a, it, it's such a simple solution, but sometimes you need to literally just shove it in people's faces and, and let them know, like, no, it's not the fact that you don't hit the ball 260 off the tee. It's the fact that it takes you three strokes to get up and down from 20 yards. Yep. But, th- <laughs> but that's not sexy, right? It's not sexy to work on, you know, a 15-yard bump and run. What's sexy is to go up there and try to blow that driver as far as you can over those trees. It is. It is. And, you know, I've got a guy out here who says, I don't care what I shoot. As long as I hit the ball well off the tee, I've had a good day. And that's fine. Yeah. But you can't, you can't get mad about your score and then have that same mindset of, I need to hit the driver well. This guy, he doesn't care what he scores. So our job is to get him to hit the driver good. If he hits the driver good, he feels great about himself. That's his goal, right? That's not the average goal. He's the only golfer I've ever had that's had. <laughs> well, I've got a buddies that would give that guy a run for their money. You know, their entire game is built around trying to outdrive me. I'm sure. not long. Look, Kobe, I'm not long off the tee. And I'm like, guys, you're like you're putting your eggs into the wrong basket here, okay? But maybe they're not. Hits the point. Maybe they're playing a different game than you. Maybe Man. they need score of it, how many times they outdrive you on the hole. And then they stop keeping score for the hole. There you go. I'm, yeah, I'm out there playing golf, and they're trying to eliminate me somehow. I don't. <laughs> There's a great story. So I went to a coach's camp uh, with the with Lynn and Pia from Vision Fifty Four. If, if yeah, you, yep. you don't know who they are, guys, they're awesome. But anyways, they're telling us a story this about this and how to practice and simulate on the golf course and all that fun stuff. And at one of their golf schools, a guy came up to him at the end, and, and I think it was Lynn gave Lynn a big hug and said, "Thank you." I now understand what's going on with my golf game. And she said, well, what did you learn? He said, I don't want to play golf. I just want to hit balls on the range. He said, I just want to hit the ball solid. And that's it. I don't care what I shoot. I don't want to do any chipping and putting. I just want to go to the range and be a range warrior and hit the ball solid. So his rest of his golfing career is probably just going to a driving range. Golf can be anything to everybody, right? It can be whatever you want it to be. Exactly. Now, I know you do a lot of work with with college kids as well. Um, and, and my son has has spoken a little bit about, you know, possibly wanting to play in college, you know, smaller school or something along, along those lines. And I noticed you guys have this combine coming up with the University of, of Louisville. G- give me a little bit about that. What's what what 
what does a golf combine entail? So what we've done out here throughout the years um, is we invite college coaches to come out and watch players um, on the range and, and short game and on, and on the golf course. And what we'll do is we'll set up stations and um, we'll actually give them each a packet of the players that are here, who they are, what school they go to, GPA, all that fun stuff. Because um, I'm not great with these rules. Um, Betty Baird Krieger, who does our college advising, uh, and even Corey out here would be way better off to, to talk about their rules than, than me for sure. But they're not allowed to talk with kids at a certain point or up to a certain point. And it's a way to just get kids in front of coaches um, and get their name out there more, more or less. And to, to give you an idea, there's a school here in our state that's come out to several of these. They're a D3 school called Center College. It's right in the center of the state of Kentucky. Um, great academic school. Uh, but anyways, they have st- starting next fall, they're going to have seven of our players playing for them for both the men and women combined. And they come out to these combines all the time and they've gotten to see these kids and, and know them from, you know, three, four years ago when they were freshmen and sophomores in high school. And that, that kind of just puts their name on their radar and gets to watch them. They get to see their scores and gets to watch the player progress and um, get to know them a little bit, you know, just their interactions uh, once they get old enough. And then, Fortunately for that school that, and for our kids, even they've they've had the opportunity to go play at center either now or, or in the next year. So um, these combines are just a great way to get kids in front of coaches. Um, we've had times where we've had 10 15, 10, 15 coaches here at once watching watching these things. And that's very cool because for people that don't know about, you know, any type of collegiate sports, it has become very different, especially as of late in this last year because of COVID and, and how recruitment is handled and how kids are kind of getting their names out in front of coaches. Um, what, have, what have you guys done or what has COVID kind of forced you to do in terms of the way you teach or maybe business model for this year? So when it all started last year, we, we tried to figure out if we get shut down, how can we set something up virtually where we can still be a benefit to all of our players? Um, and so we created a little online curriculum where, you know, we do Zoom calls and stuff like that. Fortunately, we haven't had to do that yet, um, but at least we've got something in place. What has changed more for me um, is more of what I do with adult golfers and, um, you know, like that mental mastery thing. Do, I've, I've never really done a virtual thing. I've never done a Zoom thing for sure. Um, it made me create or kind of change the way I teach and focus the way I teach onto what I think is most important and create something completely new that I've never done before. And so it really made me a better coach, honestly. It, it, made, it created this curriculum that, I still run with adults. Uh, like I start another one up at the end of the month and I've, I'm starting to do it with some college teams. And it's things that I really feel like make the biggest difference in a player's scores, no matter what level you are. It's the things like we've been talking about that get overlooked and get overshadowed by technique so much. Um, and it's made me create all these other programs. Like I, I've got this other virtual, uh, it's called the Better Golf Blueprint that's online, which is just, takes you through um, how to plan around a golf, how to practice with a purpose, um, how to track your performance with what's, what stats are important, what stats aren't based on, based on your ability level and the scores that you're shooting. Um, just the things that I feel are most important 
in the game of golf and it's made me put it out there in a different way that I never thought I would. And as a result, I've been able to reach people that um, I probably would have never reached before. And that's pretty cool. I mean, you, you see so many people in, in so many different realms of the workplace have to, you know, adapt or die, you know, and, and modify things. And I think if if there's any positive that comes out of this last year, you know, possibly two years running is the fact that people have become or at least forced to become so creative in the way that they teach and, and reach other people. And it sounds like you guys are doing a fantastic job of that. Yeah, you know, we like you said, you've got to either adapt or die, right? And and that's kind of the mindset we always have out here. This is just uh, this is just forced our hand a little bit, a little bit more more so than usual. So we've been fortunate. We've got a great team out here that all supports each other, and uh, we're all on the same page. We're we're not four instructors at an academy that do their own thing. We're four we're four people in a cohesive unit that um, we're all in it for one thing, and that's for our players to get better. Yeah, that's and 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 that's where true growth and and learning happens, right? Absolutely. Uh, before I get you out of here, I want to talk a little bit of Kentucky golf. Your boy JT had quite arguably the best year for someone that didn't win a major, uh, defending champ right now at the uh, Century Tournament of Champions. Not off to the best start. Um, what are you What are you looking at? Give me a prediction if you want for this year in terms of pro golf. Whew. Hopefully they play every event. <laughs> um, God, you know, I get so jealous this time of year. We honeymooned in Maui, and every time they're at Kapalua, I'm like, God, I just want to move there. How can there, I? I'll tell you what. I cannot remember, at least within the last decade, a year that this tournament has been on TV that there hasn't been snow on the ground outside of my house. <laughs> You know, so for, for me, yeah, for me watching this, it's like, oh my God, like, you know, you got to be kidding me. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the snow melts in the next, you know, five or six days so I can go trudge around in the mud again and, and 30 degrees and bounce balls off of concrete greens. And, you know, these guys are wearing short sleeves. It kills me. Oh yeah. No, uh, for sure. But yeah. So my prediction, I guess, um, I mean, Justin's a great player. His dad's a great friend of ours, great pro in our section. I loved watching them. I don't know if you've got to watch the parent child, but yeah, and Mike together, man, that, that's they have such a great relationship and um, so so neat watching those two guys play. They uh, have egged it on on the second day on that Sunday. I mean, oh, what they like, shoot fifteen under in a two person? Uh, yeah, yeah. With with you know how how old is Mike? Is he late sixties? And I I love Mike, I, but. You could tell he does not practice a whole lot by his golf swing. It looked very, uh, very forced. I would say uh, he hit some some squirrely shots out there, but man, his short game is good. Uh, he can yeah, put the ball for sure. And when your when your kids JT, I mean, you can you can kind of get away with a few of those shots, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But so I, I think JT is going to have a heck of a year still. I know he's not. Uh, I know he's not done in the game of golf, especially with what his goals are. So. Uh, I'm sure he'll have a great year. Dustin Johnson, what he did last fall, what he did at TPC Boston was unreal to me. I mean, the guy made it look so freaking easy. Um, anytime you get a guy that hits it that good off the tee and then can wedge it uh, and putt it, that's a pretty thing, pretty hard thing to beat. Um, the guy that I'll be interested in watching this year is Bryson, just because 
you know, I wonder how long he can continue to do what he's doing. Um, it's going to change the game of golf significantly if he can do it for another couple of years. Uh, and I hope for his sake, his body doesn't wear down from it. So he'll be the one that I'll keep an eye on. Just he's the one I get a question about all the time. What do you think about what Bryson's doing? He's got his ball speed up to this. He's driving it here. He's doing this. So he'll be, he'll be interesting to watch for sure. Yeah. He just hit 200 ball speed, uh, playing a practice round with, with Kevin Na. Um, the ball went off the planet. Like it wasn't even close. And you know how big those fairways are there. So to miss a fairway at Kapalua, you know, you know, that's a wild shot, but, um, yeah, you know, I, Bryson has kind of taken hold of the golf world's, you know, collective mindset, it kind of in the way that that tiger did all those years ago, where the only thing someone asked you if they knew you were into golf was about tiger woods. Yep. Yep. For sure. And now, now all they do is ask about Bryson. The only, you know, the question that we always get is why did why did Bryson block you? Uh, so I, <laughs> I have no idea, but he did it during the U.S. Open, so he must have liked something. I don't, you know. There you go. Yeah, whatever. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, for your viewers, so they know this. Hopefully, this kind of reiterates the fact: the three golfers we just talked about, J.T., Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, none of them do anything similar in their golf swing except hit the ball in the middle of the face. And right. that's, yeah, and, 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 you know, it goes, it sounds so corny. It really does, and I hate saying it, but I love Arnold. And it's literally the epitome of swing your swing. I don't know, and, you know, my grasp of the, the golf swing is not anywhere close to yours, and, you know, I'm only so old, so I don't have the historical knowledge of the 50s and 60s, but I'm not sure if there's more distinction in golf swings in the top 10 players in the world now than at any time in history. And I love that. I love that because it proves the point that I always try to tell people is you, everyone tries to chase the ideal golf swing. And it's what is the ideal swing for you? Like Arnie said, swing your swing, right? So throughout the course of history of the game of golf, outside of maybe Tiger Woods, is there anyone that has a swing that you would say is the ideal golf swing? Probably not from looking at it, but yeah, you, you might, you might just say Adam Scott because yeah, that's, absolutely. that's kind of the throwback that everyone goes to. And, and quite honestly, I, I, if, if I was going to have any swing, I prefer Ernie Els's swing sure. over Adam Scott, but that's just me. Yeah. But would you rather have the career of Adam Scott and Ernie Els with a, we'll call it a perfect golf swing, or would you rather have Jack Nicholas's career? Of course, anybody would take Jack <laughs> Nicholas's career. Of course. Sure. Ben Hogan, not, a, not would. The swing did not look like Ernie Els or Adam Scott. Right. Pretty darn good player. Yeah, I mean, you can go just kind of up and down, you know, the historical <laughs> greats. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, at the top 10 right now, and you got DJ Rahm and JT and Rory, right? Out of those four, Rory is probably the closest to, you know, your ideal swing, if you will, textbook-wise. Um, 50, you have Bryson. Then you have Xander. And Morikawa, uh, Webb, who has you know kind of a prototypical swing, but then you got Cantley and uh, and Terrell Hatton coming up at nine and ten. And I mean, you're right; they hit they hit the middle of the club face. Doesn't matter what you do in your swing, as long as those you know three inches before and three inches after the ball, you get that club face square. You're good to go. I agree. I agree. So listen, Kobe, let people give people all the information. If they're if they're looking to get in on some of your mental mastery, if if maybe they're gonna be in Kentucky and want to stop by and play Persimmon Ridge and, and get a lesson or two, 
how can they how can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So, um, you know, if, if you want to get into one of our mental mastery trainings, I start one up here January 25th. So if you're listening to this after I do them throughout the course of the year, but I'll put the link to the um, to all the info for that. Uh, I'll send it to you. And if you want to post it um, to your listeners, I, that'd be great. Um, yeah, but- sure. I'll put that in the liner notes of the episode and then um, and then also post it up on Instagram if that's cool as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. But if you ever want to reach out to me, uh, you can email me. It's Colby, C-O-L-B-Y at the golf Academy PR like persimmon ridge.com. And, uh, you got any questions, if there's something we talked about today, you want to pick my brain on, or, um, if, if you want to uh, get into one of my virtual trainings, or if you happen to be around in Kentucky and want to come out, love to see you, just shoot me an email and we'll, uh, we'll connect that way. Awesome, Cole. Look, man, as as always, it's I love picking your brain on kind of the intricacies and, and the mental aspect of the sport. It's always a pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I, I, I love doing this with you. You do an awesome job with this podcast. And thanks for all you do for the game. And, and I, again, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, my man. All right, people. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying. The game of golf is more than a sport. It's a lifestyle. Blue skies, bright sun, the walk, good friends, and the shots that keep you coming back. That is golf. Iconic, vintage, classic. Eagles and Arrows didn't create the look. They've only perfected it. Eagles and Arrows provides the classic American golf look with a modern spin. Hats, gloves, club head covers, and my favorite, the vintage American carry bag, are some of the amazing items you can find at eaglesandarrows.com. Follow them on Instagram at Eagles and Arrows CO. It's Eagles and Arrows Company CO on Instagram. Love golf, live life, Eagles and Arrows.